looking today at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. <clears throat> I heard about a lazy man's exercise. When I was young, I used to do squats. And the lazy man's exercise is diddly squats. So... <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, the Bible tells us in 1.1, one, one, we're going to look at chapter 3, but it tells us it was written by a son of David. And then in chapter 1 and verse 18, it was written by someone who we know is over uh, Jerusalem. And so we tie that together and we know, and of course scholars agree, it was Solomon. Solomon. David had many sons, but he, it's, this book's attributed to him. And as you read the book, it seems very pessimistic because Solomon had lived for himself. And he got old and you realize that all that was in vain. It was all emptiness. His life of wisdom, wealth, and women ended up bringing nothing but sorrow. And it was all in vain. The key word, uh, one of several key words, but one of them is the word vanity. It's used 37 times. And that word means to emptiness or empty. And certainly the way he lived was a life of emptiness. The word wisdom is used 52 times. The Bible tells us Solomon was very, very wise. And then there's a word understanding, another Hebrew word mentioned 30 times because he was a man of understanding. The sad thing is he wasn't right with God until he was later in life and wrote these books. He also wrote the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs, the word Proverbs means wise sayings. As you read Proverbs, almost every verse is a new context. And it's hard to preach Proverbs for a contextual preacher because it just, it's back and forth. Kind of how I think I vacillate. I go back and forth. And that's how Proverbs is written. Small little snapshots throughout the book of Proverbs. But he wrote that. The title Ecclesiastes is, of course, a Greek title, not a Hebrew title. And our word church is the word ecclesia. And we know the church is a called out assembly. The Hebrew word also means an assembly of people, but it's translated in one one preacher. Thus saith the preacher, because what does a preacher do? He calls an assembly of people together. Now, chapter three, let's stand and read. It's the custom here to stand and read. And we'll read verses three, or excuse me, verses four, eleven, and fourteen. My text, I'll spend most of the time in verse four, which says, A time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. I love that. I love that. But you have to understand, it says in His time. And with God, since there's no time with God, eternity, bad things that happen to you may not be understood in this life. But in His time, they will, and they'll bring Him glory. Verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be what? Forever. You're on an eternal, you're, you're an eternal being. When you were saved, he gave you eternal life. I know I'm preaching, you're standing. But it says here, also, that, excuse me, verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor nothing taken from it. And God doeth it that men should what? Fear before him. Our God's an awesome God. We need to love him. We also need to fear him and respect him. Let's pray. God bless us. As we take a look in the book for a walk in the world, that Lord, this message that I've studied and worked hard for and feel you've given me to preach, that it'll be a message from you to the hearts of the people today. 
Lord, I'm just a feeble, saved man who, uh, just in your kingdom, I, I, I'm just a little tiny bean, but Lord, you are an awesome God. And you can take this little bit of, of a, a message today and speak to hearts because you are God. And the word of God is supernatural. So I pray today that, that you'll speak to hearts. And Lord, just point out our thoughts, our intentions, and deal with us in an individual way. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are 28 opposites in this text, 14 pairs. And we're going to look at the eight verses here, and then we'll come back to verse 4. In verse 1, he starts out saying to everything there is a season, a season. This is not chronology, it's not time, it's not minutes, it's not seconds. There's a season. We think of seasons in our life, and, and we think of our youth and our adolescence time and our teen years and our young married years and our middle-aged years and our older years. Those are seasons. We think of the four seasons of the year. We, we plant in the spring, and we, we don't go out to pick apples in March. We know they're not going to be ready. Uh, we, we plant corn in March and then we reap in the fall. There's a season for everything. And that Hebrew word here that's translated season is found only four times in the Bible. In Nehemiah, it's translated a set time. In uh, Esther, it's translated an appointed time. So it says here, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose. And the word time, here's another word. Look over in chapter 10 and verse 17, where it is translated in 1017 of Ecclesiastes. It's translated here, due season. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season. So the word time is translated here, due season. So we're not talking about the seconds and minutes on a clock. We're talking about time periods that God has ordained in the universe. And so he says here, and then it goes on to say, to every purpose under heaven, and that word purpose can be translated pleasure. It's all about God's purpose and God's pleasure. Did you know everything in the universe one day will bring pleasure to God. Sin, he hates sin. But his purpose is to bring this world to a place of judgment, to bring us to a place of perfection. I can't wait to get my glorified body and be with him in a perfect kingdom. And that will be pleasurable. That's his purpose, pleasure for him. I love Isaiah 53, but it also saddens me. It says his crucifixion, the wounding of Jesus, pleased God. Why? Because God's anger about sin was dealt with on Calvary. So I'm glad he's pleased because he doesn't have to deal with my sin uh, at, 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 at the judgment time. My sin's taken care of. And that pleased God. God loved me and he didn't want me to go to hell. Do you know God doesn't destine anyone to hell? He wants, he wills that all men should be saved, 2 Peter 3.9. The Bible said he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants everyone to be saved because he's a gracious and loving God. And so here he says there's a season for everything. There's a season for everything. Verse 2 it says there's a time to be born. I love that, but I love Jeremiah chapter 1 where he says, Jeremiah, before I formed thee in your mother's belly, I knew thee. Before he formed him. Isn't that fascinating? Did you know God knew before the world began you'd be sitting right where you're sitting today? He knows everything. 
He knew what I'd preach. He knew your thoughts. He knew what's going on. He knew before the world began what's going on in your life. He knew you before you were even formed. That's fascinating to me. And that's what he says to Jeremiah. So there's a time to be born and a time to die. We know Hebrews says it's appointed unto men once to die. And then the judgment. And I, I sometimes, I think, well, I'm trying not to eat sweets. It's kind of my New Year's resolution and I'm battling that. And then sometimes I think, well, I'm just going to eat it. God knows my day anyway. But you know, it's more about quality of life. Yeah, I know people that have eaten and eaten and they, they have strokes maybe because they didn't take care of themselves. I'm not saying that's why, but I'm saying people have heart attacks. Maybe we don't know why, but it could be because we don't take care of ourselves. I, I know God's sovereign in that as well, but I, I want to try to take care of myself for quality of life. But I have to realize that my time of death is on God's schedule and it's in his season and he'll decide when. But there's a time to die. And we better be right because we don't know when that is. Very few people have known when they're going to die. I mean, if a pilot loses uh, his engine and he knows he can't get it restarted, he knows he's going to die in a matter of moments. My mother had uh, uh, kidney failure. They said, ma'am, we'll give you six months if you don't do dialysis. She says, I don't want to do a dialysis. I, I have to give up my swimming. She's in her 80s. And my bike ride and my cross-country skiing, I have to give all that up. I'm not going to live that way. I won't do dialysis. So she knew within a six-month time frame, my dad was Lou Gehrig's, knew sort of when he was going to die. But no man really knows when they're young, healthy, ambitious, when that time's coming. It could be today. And I know most of you profess to know the Lord, thank God, but we have an appointment with death. There's a time to die, then a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to plant and then pluck up. We, we already said that in our introduction. We plant and we reap the harvest. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. I, the word kill is interesting because it's found 172 times in your Old Testament. And in 2 Samuel 14, David exercised capital punishment against, I've got to actually slow down to say Ishhothbeth, that's the guy's name. He had him executed. So it can mean, you know, it can mean dying in war to kill the enemy. It can be capital punishment. And by the way, capital punishment was instituted before the law. Everything before the law, from Genesis, all the way through Genesis, all the way up to the giving of the law, still pertains to us today. We're not under the law, but Abraham lived by, he didn't have the law. You know, he went and tithed. He didn't even have a Bible, even the law. How did he know to tithe? God spoke to him. Remember, he went into his tent. We know God appeared to him many times, we're certain. Although we don't have all those times in Scripture, we're certain God spoke to him. We know God spoke to Adam. How could, how could Abel know how to give, make an offering? Well, God had clothed Adam and Eve in skins of righteousness, so God spoke. And, and, and Abraham lived without the word of God, and he lived by faith. But God instituted, instituted uh, government in Genesis. You can find all kinds of scriptures about government. Genesis 9, 6 says that if man shed someone else's blood by man, his blood should be shed. So we still accept capital punishment. Because it was given before the law, while it's under the law, we believe it's still appropriate. 
And, and so I, I think our overcrowded prisons, you know, and now they're releasing murderers sometimes because they don't have space for anything. What a tragedy. Now, I know the law, under the law, they had to have two witnesses, but we have people in jail today with video surveillance and DNA, and we know they committed the murder, and we're feeding them and giving them education, sometimes releasing them. I don't agree with that, but my point is government was instituted in Genesis. You know what else was instituted in Genesis? The family. You know, man and woman. The world don't want to hear that. But that was clearly instituted in Genesis. The church was envisioned in the Old Testament in the congregation of the wilderness, but it was not instituted until the book of Acts. Well, actually commissioned in the upper room and in Acts they were empowered, but it was envisioned in the Old Testament. But two of our great institutions, the home and government, were instituted in Genesis. So we believe this matter of killing is biblical. We still believe that it's appropriate. I read I read, I mean, I heard about this lady. She's speaking to a group of ladies. And she was speaking on, you know, relationship with her husbands. And, of course, she's talking about how that most women don't want to mother their husband. They want him to man up. They mother their children. They don't really want to be a mother to the husband. She says, how many of you really love or would love to mother your, your husband? And only one person way in the back raises her hand. And she said, you would? like to mother your husband? She said, no, I thought you said smother my husband. Uh, it's not time to kill your husbands, but there's a time for killing. And of course, we believe in war. Uh, for, I'm thank, thankful for a good military. I know, I know people. I had a guy apply with our mission that was a conscientious objector to being in the military or, or to having a military. And, and my, my, always the question I want to ask is where, who would own Hawaii if we didn't have a military? Japan. And, and Russia would have taken Alaska and we'd be subservient to Germany or someone. So I'm thankful for a military and there's a time to kill and there's a right time to kill. But, of course, murder is sinful. We know that. We understand that. But so he says in verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to mourn, a time to, we'll talk about this later, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. I mean, there's a time to build and then there's some times where we have to just, uh, you know, uh, you know, scatter to tear down something. Uh, stones, of course, speak of building and tearing down. Then he says in verse 6, a time to cast away stones, time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain. I'm in verse 5 still. Uh, you know, the, the awkward hug, I mean, a while back, there was a girl that, that would hug me every time she came to church, and, and it was okay. I, I just am uncomfortable sometimes by how people may hug, and I'm a hugger. But uh, I saw her in a restaurant one time, and I purchased her breakfast because she's a struggle girl who struggles. And so she ran up to me, and she jumped in my arms and hugged me, and right up in me, and she put her face here, and she held on a little long. And I'm like, this is very uncomfortable. Who's looking? What's going on here? So I just kind of gently <laughs> pulled her arms down and was nice to her. But I thought, that was awkward, you know, there's a time to hug, but I never was one of these guys. I see ball players after a game, sweaty basketball players hugging each other. That wasn't me. 
This wasn't the time to hug for me. And there are appropriate times for all the things we've talked about, right? And we need to understand. So there's a time to hug and a time not to hug. And then he says here, uh, a time to get, that means really to seek or to find, and a time to lose. You remember the woman who searched for her coin? There's a time to, to, to seek and a time. There's a, t- a time to keep and a time to cast. The way this word keeps an interesting Hebrew word, it means to guard something. The first times it's used is in Genesis, where God guarded, sent some angels to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And they stood guard and didn't let anyone in the garden. You know, you've heard all those jokes about Adam and Eve walking by the garden with their kids, and they said, how come we can't live there? And he said, because your mom ate us out of house and home, and all those dumb jokes. But guards were placed there, so they could never enter the Garden of Eden. We don't believe the garden exists after the flood. There may be some secret spot there somewhere, but we believe it's gone. But there's a time here uh, to rend, a time to sow, verse 7. A time to keep silence, a time to speak up. Silence is golden, sometimes it's plain yellow. You know, sometimes as Christians, we need to speak up and say something. You're at work and something's wrong and you say, well, I'm not going to stir up trouble. I don't think you ought to be a troublemaker. You ought to be a peacemaker. But there's times we have to speak up and say, wait just a minute. Can I just share something and respectfully say what's on your heart in a loving Christian way just say, hey, this is wrong. This is not right. I think we're doing this wrong. I think this person's, you know, in error. There's a way to say it, but there is a time to speak up. And there's also a time to keep your mouth shut. And, and so we have to realize that being led of God's Spirit in all these areas is the difference maker. You'll know when to speak up. You'll know when to be quiet. In a time to love and a time to hate, verse 8, the word hate's used 145 times in your Old Testament, this Hebrew word is. It can mean intense hatred or just opposition. And of course, we know there's some things we need to hate. We need to hate sin. We don't need to hate the sinner. We need to hate sin. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 1, because, you know, God hates. Here's something God hates that applies to us. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 14. God, we know, hates sin. There's no doubt about that. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14. And this is, I thought, this is a good place to mark. He says here, your new moons and your appointed feasts. Now, now we, we in, in our culture, we don't understand. We're going to talk later about dancing, and everybody's going to say, dancing? A Baptist pastor talking about dancing. We're going to talk about that. <clears throat> but our culture is so much different than the Jewish culture. Our holidays are not like their holidays. You know, we, we open gifts at Christmas. That's our big day. We have a big meal at Thanksgiving. They have many feasts. But their feasts are really important, and they really connect the family to Scripture and the history of, of Israel. And they're really big. And, and their, their celebration, they celebrate. We don't know how to celebrate. Our team wins, we celebrate, but we really don't celebrate much as Christians. And I think we're missing a great opportunity to celebrate our Lord. But look what, look what the Lord says here about some of their celebrations, their feasts, their festivals. He said, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. 
They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Why would God say that about these special feasts and celebrations? I hate them. I'll tell you why. Because they were just going through the motions. Do you know when you come to church, sometimes we come and we just go through the motions. Well, I need to be there. I I need to go. I got to go to church. Church starts at 11 sharp and ends at 12 dull. And I really want to, don't want to go to church. And that's really a problem because our hearts and our attitudes determine whether a church service is going to be good or not. I mean, if you come and say, I'm going to, when they sing, I'm going to sing with them. Now you can sit back and say, oh, so-and-so's off key. Brother Dan, he can't sing at all. That's true. I don't sing for you. I want to sing for the Lord. But when you, when you arrive at church, your attitude should be, I'm going to sing for the Lord. You know, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to say hallelujah, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to mark my Bible during the preaching I want to learn today and apply it to my life. That should be our attitude. But sometimes we go to church and we plop down in our pew with our name on it, you know, and we go through the motions. Well, how much time we got left? How long is a preacher going to preach today? I don't like this. Listen, folks, we're here for one purpose, to worship the Lord. You know, our hearts are very important that we get our hearts right before we get there. I remember my wife and I used to laugh. We used to argue on the way to church every Sunday. That was our big argument time. Why was that? Because the enemy wanted to ruin our church service. (laughs) That's the way he is. We talked about spiritual warfare next week. We'll be talking about it again next week. Now that I announced it, nobody's going to come because the devil's going to make sure to ruin your week. But, but you know, it's so important for us to realize how he works on us, our minds. And we, when we are on our way to church, we just say, Lord, help me to open my heart to you and to worship you and to connect with you. I, I want my soul to be involved in this church service. So he says here, I hate your new moons and your feast. You just go through the motions and it makes me sick. That's God speaking. Back in Ecclesiastes, he says here, time to love, a time of hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And drop down to verse 13. He says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. Yeah, I'm one of these guys that struggles to enjoy life. So you don't act like, oh, I love preaching. I love studying scripture. I love my grand. There's a lot of things I love. But you know what? I have to keep myself in check because I don't enjoy life enough. And here's what verse 13 says. Enjoy the moments in life that you are allowed to enjoy. Hey, enjoy that piece of pie. Just don't enjoy the whole pie. Enjoy, you know, that walk in nature. Enjoy loving your wife. Enjoy the moments when you have the grandkids. Enjoy those times. Enjoy that wholesome television program. Enjoy a good book. Learn to love life. God gave us these times to what? To enjoy. So don't be so goal-oriented and negative. I'm too goal-oriented. 
I can't hardly do anything without a goal and really accomplishing something. That's my personality type. And I have to kind of just stomp on my own toes sometimes and say, just enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. Sometimes the kids come over and they're all over there. And, and uh, maybe I have 10, 15 people at the house, sometimes 20 if they're all together. And I'm, I'm so excited and I get there and I'm really enjoying it. And then I start thinking as I watch, okay, I got a lot to clean up here. <laughs> Boy, there's going to be a big mess, you know, and he spilled this and they broke this. And you start thinking and you're not enjoying the moment. You're wanting to get beyond the moment. Folks, relax. Take time to smell the roses. Amen. I work in May. I got a lot of plants, but I don't often enjoy those. I work at it and other people come by and I see them enjoying them, and then I see their dog, you know, uh, offering a little incentive there. And, and, and I think about what I have to do with that plant, and I don't often just stop and say, I'm going to sit down, and I'm just going to enjoy this wonderful day, the flowers, and listen to the birds. Folks, God wants us to enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. And so take time in life. And, and he says in verse 13, he says, enjoy the good of all his labor. You know, enjoy the goodness of God. Enjoy life. Enjoy the opportunities you have to enjoy. And don't be so rushed to get through the day and through life. Enjoy it. Take time and enjoy. Go back to verse 4. This is where I want to spend the last few moments. He says here, time to weep. I've written down some popular expressions. You know, we, we've heard people say, it's nothing to cry about. You know, some people don't like tears. But our Savior wept. He cried three times that we know of, and I'm sure more than three. He, 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 he wept one time in empathy. You know, Romans 12, 15 says, weep with those who weep. I mean, he arrives, Mary and Martha are weeping, and what does he do? He weeps. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Why is he weeping? Because he was empathetic towards someone else who was suffering. I like that about Jesus. Then he wept with compassion. The Bible said he looked over the city of Jerusalem and saw this city without a shepherd, and he wept because they didn't have a leader. They didn't have a, a king. They had... You know, they were under oppression, Roman oppression, and he wept because they didn't have a spiritual leader. And yet he's there, but they're going to reject him. Remember when he came, he said, go first to the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the Jews. But then they rejected him. He said, now go into all the world. But he knew Israel was without a shepherd. Then finally he weeps, according to Hebrews, as an intercessor. He weeps in intercession. He weeps because he's praying for you and he's praying for me. Isn't that something that he weeps as he prays for us, Hebrews tells us? So he wept. Tears are, are called the liquid of the soul. Your body, your body continually produces tears. A gram a day, that's about a teaspoon. You ought to be thankful for tears. They're very important in your body. The three things we know for sure they do. Number one, they lubricate. If you didn't have tears, you'd have to pry your eyelids open in the morning because they'd stick. And tears wash away particles. That's why you have this stuff, you know? You do this. Tears have brought the filth and the little 
things, the dust that get in your eye, and then you clean it out. And then the, 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 the tears have bacteria. They, they fight infections for us. God made those tears for us. And sometimes we need more than a teaspoon as we begin to weep and cry. And there's a time to cry. I saw my dad cry one time. Probably been good if he'd cried more. I'm a crybaby. Hardly, a certain a month doesn't go by where I don't cry. But I cry. And uh, <clears throat> there was a time I almost thought it was wrong seeing my dad, but my dad cried late in life, and I knew he thought crying was fine. I just didn't understand it at the time. But that liquid of the soul, and there's a time to cry. And it's okay to cry. I, I, my mother cried tears of joy. She would sit in church, and every time, every Sunday, I've told you this before, her nose would be bright red. And my dad would get in the car and say, oh, for crying out loud, your mother cried all through church again. She loved the word. When my pastor preached, she cried. When I preached, she sobbed. Probably mixed emotions there. Uh, no, she didn't sob. But she had tears of joy, and so tears are not a bad thing. We find so much weeping in Scripture. The prophets wept for Israel and Judah and Jerusalem's fall. During the Bible says in Luke 23, we're going to, we're going to be, there's going to be tears during the tribulation period. And we should weep thinking about that. Uh, you know, James talks about you corrupt men who, who gain riches. You're going to weep. Uh, <clears throat> Josiah wept for the nation. Sinners will weep, the Bible says, when evil men rule over them. People in trouble, the Bible says, Job weep. David wept for Jonathan when he died. I mean, that was his best friend. Now, David was a teenager, and Jonathan's in his 40s, but they were best friends. When Jonathan died, David just lost it, man. He wept. You know, the great thing is, one day God's going to wipe away all those tears. No more sorrow. No need to cry anymore. So weeping. And then we find here a time to weep and a time to laugh. I know Christians that just really never hardly laugh. I had a preacher friend that thought humor was inappropriate in the pulpit. Well, I thought, that's no laughing matter. <laughs> inappropriate? Spurgeon was criticized for being too humorous. And when asked about it, he said, you know, the thing that might surprise you is I'd like to be more humorous, but I hold back because of people like you. And that's a paraphrase of what he said, but... Humor is a great thing. And laughter is good for you. The Bible says that a merry heart is good like medicine. Now, oftentimes, laughter's a part of being scornful and belittling someone. When I was a kid, my mom and dad didn't have much money, and I had two pair of pants for school. Green jeans and brown jeans. And I'd wear every one every other day. My mom kept them washed and cleaned, but... Those two pair. And some kid at school would say, what do you got on today, the green ones or the brown ones? And he would laugh and belittle me. And he was uh, 5'8", 140 pounds in middle school. And I was 5'8", 100 pounds in middle school. When he graduated, he's still 5'8", 140 pounds, and I wasn't. But always belittling and laughing at the fact that I didn't have clothes. So when I was about 14... And my dad finally let me ride my 10-speed to the mall. I'd shoveled snow or cut grass. Man, I'd ride to the mall and go to Webster's Menwear, and every week I'd buy clothes. I had more clothes than anybody in school because I hated to be laughed at. 
And there are, there are, there are belittling laughs. You know, God actually will laugh at wicked people who plot against him, the psalmist said. He'll laugh at wicked kings. He'll laugh at the heathen, Isaiah 59. He'll laugh at, at, uh, at the scorners. It's been said he who laughs last will laugh the loudest. I don't know about that. But we know that laughter can be belittling, but it's, it's encouraged in scripture for us to sometimes just laugh. You can't just always let everything anger you. Sometimes you just have to say, oh, come on, and just break down and laugh. You know, I, I've told you a story about my wife and I travel and our kids throwing up on us and I get out of the car and the diaper bag goes down in the ditch and I go down and I'm grabbing grass and putting the stuff back in the diaper bag. It starts to rain. I couldn't get out of the ditch. I had mud on my knees from climbing out of the ditch. Got in the car. I'm preaching this night. I get to the church and I'm just puke on me, mud on my knees. My wife's cut. But on the way, we were. I was really upset until Mary began to giggle. And then I laughed. You know, I said, Lord, I don't know why this happened, but it was so good to break <laughs> the frustration in life with a laugh. You know? Yeah, you just got to sometimes laugh at those things and not just go through life always angry and upset. Just laugh. Learn to laugh and enjoy life more. And he says, there's a time to laugh. Look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 21. Luke 6, 21. And you know there's several passages that talk about laughter. In Luke 6.21, Jesus is speaking. He said, Blessed are they that hunger now, for they shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall what? Laugh. Laughter's a good thing. Laughter's a, I'm sure God laughs at me. I'm sure sometimes he's just like, he's such an idiot. He wouldn't call me a name, but I'm sure he laughs at me because of some of the things that I conclude and some of the things I do, he laughs. David said after the restoration of the land, the people will laugh. Job said he'll fill our mouth with laughter. So learn to laugh in life. Learn that it's okay to cry, guys, men especially. Learn to laugh. Enjoy life. Because if you teach your children and your grandchildren that life is miserable, they're going to have a hard time getting through this miserable, wicked world. Because the truth is, we're in an evil place. And there's not much good happening in the world. So enjoy the moments you have. Then he says, a time to mourn. This is a word really meaning to wow or to, to experience pity to have a lot of grief. Jesus, the Bible said, groaned within himself. This is an inward pain. And there's times we have that. There's a time to mourn and experience this. You know, there's mourning over the fall of Israel and Judah. Uh, Luke says, if you're laughing now, you might mourn later. Matthew says, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. But sometimes... We have this inner pain, and it's necessary in life. When you see a child suffer, it should, it should cause you to feel an inner pain. You know that hurting you have on the inside where you, you're just suffering inside because of something in this world? It's appropriate to have that. And I, I've often wondered when I've had that in my life, you know, 
what good does that do? I don't know, but, 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 but I don't understand everything because I'm on God's calendar and, and with Him, everything's going to be beautiful in His time. And I don't know why we have to go through times like that, but we do. I have a preacher friend lost his grandchild and he hurt so much inside he could hardly cope that morning, the morning, the morning for that grandchild that died of cancer. Six-year-old kid, hey, that hurts inside. It's beyond tears, isn't it? You just hurt. And that's tough to do. But you can't mourn the rest of your life. You have to at some point in time say, you know, I realize God's sovereign. I've got to let go of this and get back to enjoying the things God's given me and have some moments that I can celebrate as we find here. It says also in this verse, a time to dance. Now all Baptists, when you say dance in a Baptist church, they think, what are we going to do now? Well, we really don't understand dancing because in our culture it's not the same. It's not the same. We think of dancing, we think going to a disco and shaking it up, you know? It is just not the same as watching a Jewish celebration of marriage or a Jewish celebration of Hanukkah or whatever celebration they're going through and they knew how to celebrate. And unfortunately in America, Christians don't understand celebration. We seldom just dance to the Lord. You know, and, and uh, while we think of dancing, Jews danced to music that was uplifting to God. They danced at their festivals. It wasn't sensual. Now, I know husbands and wives can dance together, obviously, but dancing to the Jew was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. Today, we see it as a social thing, but actually, it was a thing dedicated to God. What did David do? He got out in the streets and he danced. In fact, he was took off his outer garment and was kind of dancing in his long johns and his wife got agitated at him. She got agitated because she wasn't right with God anyway. But we find dancing is an appropriate way to celebrate God. Do you celebrate God? How often do you get excited about God? We get excited about our football team. But when was the last time you jumped up and down and just went crazy just praising God for something? Sometimes I travel and when I travel I get done preaching and I'll travel back and in my car, I'm having this time. If people pass by, I know they think something's wrong with that guy. Because I'm just listening to music and I'm just into it with God. And sometimes I'm not even holding the steer while I'm just praising the Lord. You know, we really don't understand celebrating Jesus, but we need to learn. And if you don't have times in your life where you just go crazy for God, because God's so good and so awesome, you need to establish those times. We need to celebrate God. We know the high priest, when they went in to offer the offering, if they had confessed their sin and they were right, God would accept their offering. You know what they would start to do? They'd start to dance. And they had bells in the bottom of their garment, and the people outside knew God had accepted the offering, and they'd begin to celebrate that God had accepted the offering for sin. Do you celebrate that yourself? When was the last time you celebrated Jesus offering his body for your sin? Now, they had a rope on that priest's leg because if he had sin in his life, what happened to him? Dead. They'd have to pull him out because no one could go in and get him. But when the offerings accepted, he began to dance and they could hear the bells. And they knew it's time to celebrate, celebrate their atonement. Hey, we've got to celebrate our atonement. 
Several verses, and then we'll close. Matthew eleven seventeen. We'll read. Matthew eleven seventeen says here, Jesus is speaking, and he says, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have piped unto you. you have, the Lord says this. We've piped and you haven't danced. In, in, I know you're not there and we're already going to move to Psalms, but in Psalm 149.3, the Bible says we're supposed to dance to his name. I, I like Jeremiah 31.3 again. Dance because of his redemptive work. When was the last time you just went crazy and just celebrated God because of everything he did? People will look at me and think, think I'm nuts. I'll look at them and know they're nuts, but I have Jesus. I have a lot to celebrate. Another wrong to thank you, God, and jump up and down and dance to Him. He's worthy. He's worthy. Now back to the main truth of chapters, chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we'll close. It says here in verse 13, learn to enjoy the good of all his labor. Verse 11, the main truth is he made everything, makes everything beautiful in his time. But then verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. And it says here, nothing can be put to it, nor nothing taken from it. You can't add to it, and you can't take away. You can't change eternity. We accept God as sovereign. And then it says here, and God doeth it that men should fear before him. When you realize he's in control, you'll just reverence and fear him because he is God. When you take the Lord's name in vain, you better think about who you're talking about and who you're talking to. When you sin, the psalmist said, against thee only have I sinned. He, he meant primarily it hurt you more than anyone else, God. We don't sin because we don't want to hurt our kids, but let me tell you who hurts first, God. We need to fear him. And you know what he says in the end of the book? He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Everything's vanity that you do for yourself. Only what's done for Christ will last. But the conclusion of the whole matter is fear God and keep His commandments. Fear, Enjoy life. He gives you so much to laugh about. So much to celebrate. Do that. Enjoy that. But remember that sin is displeasing to God. He'll chase in His own. And those who don't know Him will stand before Him in judgment. But Solomon wrote to tell us that all the things of this world are vanity. You're going to be shocked when we stand before God and all the things that you've earned and saved up and built and everything down here is going to be meaningless to God. Only what's done for Christ will last. You'll leave it all behind. My diplomas are meaningless in eternity. <laughs> oh, we can get our education and say, oh, I'm so proud I got this degree. But if it's not for the cause of Christ, it's empty. It's like a soap bubble. You know, we blow those bubbles and it looks so beautiful, but when you try to grab them, there's nothing there. And that's what most of our accomplishments in life amount to if they're not done for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I don't have the answers, but you do. Help us today to realize there's a time for everything. 
We're here today to worship. It's a time to worship you, Lord. Thank you. And Lord, help us to enjoy life that you've given us. Enjoy the things we have. I'm thankful you've given me so much in life to enjoy. But Lord, most of all, I need to celebrate you. And remember, you're the reason. You're the reason for everything in my life. I'm an eternal being because of you, and everything I do matters. But God, you're in control of eternity, and all the things that have happened in my life, even the bad things, will one day be beautiful in your timing. And you don't say all things are good. You say all things work together for good. And sometimes we don't see it, God. Thank you for reminding us that it's your timing and in your season that things will be beautiful. Bless us, Lord. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, help them to come today and be saved. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.